0: So I got it for uh, 214, and I, I assigned it for 240 to them, and and uh, that's a whole other story. But then we closed about three or four weeks later, and I made twenty six thousand dollars, and I'm like, this is the craziest thing in the world. All I did was help people. Welcome to the True Wealth Investors podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle,
1: and impact. Hello, this is Chad Harris, your host for today's episode. Okay, welcome everybody. I am super excited for our guest today. It is Chris Mayfield out of Arizona. And when I first met Chris, uh, we were at a mastermind retreat and I was immediately impressed with his servant attitude and just his perspective and wanting to help people. And as I got to know him and his story more, I became really impressed with his knowledge on wholesaling and what he's been able to do. So stay tuned. I know you are going to get a whole bunch of great content on how to find more deals and benefit from his story and what he has going on. So without further ado, welcome, Chris.
0: Thanks Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, glad to. So, So fill us in on your background kind of before you made the transition to real estate, what were you involved in or what's your history?
0: Uh, Ministry, just straight up ministry. Uh, Graduated high school, kind of chased a little bit of the college basketball, finally just kind of gave up on that and and, uh, got involved in ministry, had a mentor that I met at Oklahoma City, moved from uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, Oklahoma City, became an intern, youth ministry, Uh, finished my degree up there, um, you know, and then I did student ministry for 20 plus years. And then, uh, 1990, uh, 2004, um, we, I felt as though kind of wanted to do that for all ages. And so being entrepreneurial, my wife always doing a side hustle while we were serving on staff at a church, we ended up, uh, just about 15 minutes north of Seattle and planted a church. Um, and then from there, I came down here to do the same thing and, uh, just, you know, I connected with a church planner who was doing uh, real estate and we had a relationship and I was just fascinated with what he was doing. And I just wanted to see how I could merge ministry with, um, business or real estate in particular. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at today now is, is doing real estate with a heart for ministry.
1: Awesome. That's exciting. And I know at this point you're working in multiple markets and have, you know, wholesale wholesaling on a large scale, but what was that before we get all the way there, what was that transition like going from full-time ministry to full-time wholesaler?
0: Yeah. I mean, it it was scary. (laughs) I only knew one thing, you know, to do ministry and, and, uh, and I really enjoyed it. Um, so it wasn't like I was running from something or uh, did something wrong. Or it, We got here, and, and the guy that brought me here left five weeks after I got here. Totally, you know, wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. It. I, you know, I don't move my family across the country unless I'm sure of what's taking place. And this was a larger church. And then the guy left. I didn't even have a meeting with him in the five weeks I was here, which just was unheard of and i come from large church background so i i connected with this buddy he was in denver and i saw what he was doing and i've always been intrigued by real estate you know being a pastor you're buying and selling houses going to different cities and and uh uh, i just reached out to him and he's like man you would be great Uh, he actually flew down here and uh said hey i want you to read this online book I get an appointment with two uh, real estate agents to drive us around um, because he was semi-interested in the market back then. And uh, he flew down here and got a hotel room in downtown Phoenix. I drove down to meet him. I walked into his hotel room and I'm not lying, Chad, five minutes into being in his hotel room, he had his cell phone at the hotel desk, had dialed a number and said, I want you to talk to this lead. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> and he would, you know he was very comfortable because he was already doing it and I was kind of like, okay, but I like that. I like just being able to get on a conversation with somebody and then he would just mute while they were talking and would just kind of coach me on, okay, here's what they're saying right now, and you know, here's what you're gonna want to be asking, you know, that kind of no script, no nothing at this point. I'm sure he had a script memorized. Um, and then I just kind of learned as I went, which has been my ministry background. And really, kind of always my background is learn from other people who are doing some of the things that you want to do. And just, well, you know, I'll, I'll say it this way, Chad. You always want to have a Paul in your life, and you always want to have a Timothy. You always want to have somebody that's that's teaching or leading you, and then you always want to be accountable to turn around and and give that knowledge back to somebody else who's looking for it. So that's kind of how I started. I freaked out, you know, I was going from ministry and insurance and just kind of that to no certainty whatsoever, and this is what you're gonna do.
1: Kind of trial by fire, which which is uh, really good for increasing that learning curve, but definitely not pleasant when, you, when you're in the midst of it. So was there much of an overlap from ministry to wholesaling or one ended and the other started?
0: There, there was a little bit of overlap, um, we ended up after that happened the church was really nice to us because they, they didn't know that was going to happen you know so they were great um but in that six months when they were working with us to, when we went to them and said hey let's just stop you know because of everything that happened they were great churches were calling we were looking at the potential of going back to seattle um But there was just something in my heart that just kind of wanted to take a break. That's all I've ever done. And coming out of a church plant in Seattle, which is a very intense place to to launch something from from scratch, um, I think I didn't realize that I was, I'm not gonna use the word burned out, um, but just tired, worn. So I took, uh, one of the pastors there helped me, I I took my first secular job, I helped a a light bulb company, a Christian light bulb company nationwide. There was a pastor that that was running an office here. Um, he had worked at that church and he said, look, I know you don't want this job. You're probably going to end up at another church, but at least you'll have some insurance while you kind of decide what you want to do. And I took it because it was just kind of fun to be in a position where not everybody was looking to me to provide all the leadership and all the answers. Um, I was helping them. Um, but they had no expectation of me uh, staying long-term. So okay. then we started a small group in our house because we, we like people and kind of thought maybe that would just do like a, a, small group. Don't raise money, see where that goes. And it was in that time that I started really getting heavy into, uh, following people on real estate and really just trying to put together, uh, deals to provide income.
1: That's awesome. So walk me through, you know, those first days, you got all the uncertainty mentally of starting this new venture, no income. What were those first days like, or what was the first deal that you struck upon?
0: Um, well, you know, I didn't have a marketing budget, so it wasn't like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, wholesaling's easy because it doesn't take a lot of money. Yes and no, you know? I mean, sure, if you if I have a massive network of people and you can just put it out there that you're looking to buy a house, but because of my ministry background, I didn't want to be, I wanted to be authentic. I didn't want to be, you know, crazy and, and push all my friends away. Like, Whoa, Chris is not going to do anything ministry. It's like, no, what it came down to Chad and you understand this, which I, I really want to learn more about you. You, you were doing all of that. And, and you, I could, I raised a bunch of money to go plant a church in Seattle. And I, and I didn't have the education that I do now. And and I think about how I could have used that money larger to, 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 to do more of an impact. And so Mm -hmm. I thought, man, if I could create where I could build my own salary and still be able to go help pastors. And even if they're like, Hey man, we don't have anything to pay you and be able to say, no man, that's, that's not why I want to do it. If I could go raise money, but do it through commerce or real estate, um, and I always knew that I had this income coming in and then I could really focus on helping uh, pastors. Cause I know what they're going through. Um, so yeah, just freaked out. So uh, there was a few friends that I, I told uh, and I was trying to work with my friend in Colorado who came down here. We, we, we threw out a few postcards and we started getting phone calls, um, mm-hmm. but we weren't getting anything. And he's like, you're doing everything right. Just, you know, we just, we haven't found that right one. And then I had a buddy in, in Seattle and I said, Hey man, if you, find any houses that look like they need a total, you know, repair job, send them to me. And if I get it, I'll pay you something. And he called me and uh, there was a guy who was packing boxes, moving from Seattle to another city. And he hadn't talked to a real estate agent. So I said, well, ask for permission if I could call him. He did. And uh, I was actually at the cabin in Colorado and I called him and he was interested. And after, understanding his needs and what he was going through i kind of said what if i paid off your mortgage put a certain amount of money in your pocket would this deal work for you and he actually took it to his church i didn't know he later told me leadership the type of church he was in and they said yeah looks like a good deal so we signed the agreement and uh it was in seattle and so i didn't know it in 2013 14 when that was my first deal was virtual, but I had no clue if that's what it was called. I, my thing was make money, you know, take care of your family. That's all I was worried about. So he signed, and then uh, Bigger Pockets was brand new to me. So I threw it out there and said, hey, I'm a Phoenix guy. Um, I just got a, a, a contract on a property in Seattle. Would anybody be interested? I mean, immediately, eight people. Boom, 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 boom. And I didn't even know what I should sell it for. So I called a guy from my church that I had planted in Seattle and I said, Hey man, you think you'd go take some pictures of this property? Sure, man. I'd love to do that. So he went and took the pictures. Uh, and then he reached out to me and he said, what are you going to do? And I said, Oh, I'm, I'm just going to assign the property, the contract to somebody who wants it. And, uh, he said, well, my dad and I, his dad was a 80 year old house flipper in Yakima, Washington. And he was in Seattle and he said, we've been talking about doing a house in Seattle. So they said okay. So they bought it. So I got it for uh, 214, and I, I assigned it for 240 to them, and and uh, that's a whole nother story. But then we closed about three or four weeks later, and I made twenty six thousand dollars, and I'm like, this is the craziest thing in the world. All it did was help people.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, from the outside listening in it's like that's unbelievable, you know. You're truly serving them, really helping them get out of this problem that they're in. And uh, you're rewarded financially very well. Everybody's happy in the deal and it's virtual. I mean you're doing it I don't know. I mean that's that's a long ways away, Seattle for Phoenix, right? Whoa. So. What was
0: crazy was they were they were telling me that I couldn't assign it. Somebody in the in the title office, and it's a big title company that you would recognize. And and so then Chad, it was like, what am I going to do? I don't have any money to pay this guy two hundred fourteen thousand dollars, but but I have this guy that wants to buy it. But now you're telling me that I can't assign it. But I knew you could assign it, so I reached out to some guys in Seattle. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what they're telling you. And so, uh, but, but in my fear, I said, well, what can I do? And someone said, well, go find some money. <laughs> so I went on and someone said, uh, like, uh, forget what it's called now. Now they call it bridge loans, but it was something back then. So I called and there was a company in New Jersey that said, yeah, we'll give you the money for 24 hours. It'll cost you 1500 bucks because we know you're only going to have the house for 15 minutes, you know, on the double close. So I was like, but then it meant that I was only going to walk away with $13,000. And I thought, this is crazy. I know guys are assigning. I'm not an expert. I've never done this before. But I got a hold of a lady in the office and I said to this lady, Christy, is there something I'm not doing right because this lady in your office is saying I can't assign it. And she said to me, Chad, I was literally leaning over some clothes in a Costco while my wife was shopping doing all this, you know, stuff. And she goes, yeah, Chris, I thought it was weird that you weren't assigning it. That's a lot of money to be losing on the taxes on the clothes and then the turnaround and selling it. And I go, but you're lady. And she's like, well, she's wrong. We do assignments all the time. So instantly I went back from 13,000 to 26. So when I closed the deal the day of closing, I flew up there. I shook my buddy's hand who was buying the house I definitely shook Christy's hand because she helped me, you know, take care of my family. Um, and because we were from Seattle, you know, there's friends I wanted to see. And it was so crazy. I had a buddy, he was driving me around. And he's like, well, where's this house? And we drove up to the house and he goes, is this the house? And I looked down on my phone and I go, yep, yeah, this is the address. And he goes, wait a minute, you haven't walked in the house? I go, bro, this is the first time I physically have seen the house. And we had our closed. <laughs> So that's fascinating to me. That's why I probably got into it as I was just fascinated by the whole
1: process. That's fascinating to me as well, honestly. I mean, <laughs> that's a good deal. So, and I think there's some great lessons in there too. You were networking with your friends, you know, people you knew, um, whether that was Seattle or your friend in Colorado. And it sounds to me like you had kind of a learning perspective on it. You know, it wasn't that you were arguing with the title company, but no. you were just asking questions like, how can I resolve this? What's the best way to handle it moving forward? And you, I mean, that was a big difference in the deal for you just in having that perspective and, and asking open-ended questions.
0: It so. was it was all relationships. I mean, I, that's what I, the money was great because my family needed it. It wasn't about getting rich. It was about, you know, paying rent, paying bills, taking care of your kids, you know, playing club baseball. It wasn't, but what I learned was that the $26,000 was huge for our family, but it was really the, the, the process of, of, I'm not even telling you everything that went through, but like just all the things that I was learning to get this deal done. Yeah. There was the motivation, the why of taking care of my family, but the education I learned through that process was invaluable because um, it wasn't, I did one more deal that closed the next day. Um, Again, these all happened at the same time. Wow! My my gym owner here, I was going to a CrossFit. He had approached me three or four months earlier and said, you know, do you think you could buy my dad's house? And I said, sure, man. Let me, I mean, then he didn't, he didn't say anything. And I was not one of those guys where I'm going to go like, Hey man, you said you were going to do it. I just, there's obviously a reason he's not coming back. But then around that time I'm going through that deal, he comes in and said, Hey, man, I remember that time I asked you about my dad. He said, If, if my dad doesn't sell this house, he's going to die. And I was like, so, so tell me a little bit more. And he, and he said, Well, he had a major uh, surgery um, where somebody gave him a part, you know, and he, he's, a, he's a hoarder. And if he doesn't get out of this house. And so then I started realizing why he had backed. Off, is he was probably a little embarrassed of the situation, you know. But coming out of ministry, we know how to be dignified. So I got on the phone with his dad. His dad wanted this amount of money, and then he wanted this on top. And I said he wanted twenty thousand dollars, and I said I could do that and eighteen thousand dollars. And he said I'll do that. So I drove over to his house to sign the contract, and he opened the door, and we couldn't get in the house. So I kind of knew at that point, okay. So we signed the deal. Um he, here's the lesson I learned in that. I gave it, I didn't know anything about this, Chad. So I had met with a guy earlier in Phoenix, and he said, "Hey, if you ever get a deal, I've got thousands of buyers and just send me your deal and we'll put something on top of it, and we'll market it because you don't really have any buyers and, and we'll get you your price. So I sent it to him. I said, "Sure, man, I'll do that. You know, I don't know anything. You're an expert. And uh, about three days went by and nothing and they said hey man they called me and said it's not moving we need to lower the price and i said so what are you guys going to lower it to and they said no you need to take some off and and we need to take some off well i didn't know what they put on top and i said well i think my ten thousand is very fair I've, I've looked at arv and i know the condition of the house it's going to be a gut job and 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 uh they said well you need to take some off and i said you know i, I don't feel comfortable doing that you know again i'm taking care of my family so they said, okay, we'll just take care of it on your own. So I just threw it out there to anybody and everybody. And this guy called me and said, hey, I saw this house yesterday. Do you own the contract? And I said, I do. He's like, can I go look at it? Sure. He went and looked, first guy, he went and looked at it and he said, sold. And I said, can I ask you a question? And I said, you said you saw it yesterday. He said, yeah, I said, well, what did you sell? And he said, it was $20,000. So they had taken my 10 and put an additional 10 on top of it which wasn't fair. So I learned again, just be fair. That guy told yeah. me, Chris, I'll learn anything from you if you make it fair.
1: Hmm.
0: So yeah, so in, in, in 24 hours, Chad, I'm looking at a bank statement and I made $36,000 and I'm like, half of a youth minister's salary for the year, you know, for the church that I served at. Um, and all I was doing, Chad, was just trying to serve people, make things work, and just kind of be the glue for the seller
1: and the buyer. Yeah, that's huge. You know, I was talking to somebody just, that was just yesterday, and they were talking about how they just have a hard time talking to sellers on the phone because they don't feel like they have the persona for it. And I was trying to say, it's just a matter of asking questions, helping them. It's not really about your personality. You don't have to be this over-the-top salesman or outgoing persona. You're just asking what they need and then trying to structure a deal that helps them. That's it.
0: That's it. You just, if everybody would do that, I mean, and, and, and and I'll say this too, for us, for Jeremy and I, my wife, it's about caring for the people. Like I feel like if they see that I'm just praying to get a deal, they get that call all the time. So what you said is right. I don't talk. I know I talk a lot with you, but, I just ask questions. That's all I do. They'll, they'll, they'll say something and then I'll just follow it up with another question. Um, and then that I begin to hear their motivation and, and their situation. And then if I can do something, I'll say, I think I can do something. And if I can't, I just try to give them wisdom and say, I probably can't be your buyer, but if I were in your situation, here's what I would do, you know, cause I do want to help them at the end of the day, whether a deal is, put together. And on that deal, Chad, where uh, you got a family, you got a familial issue, which, you know, I mean, you're better at me than all this, but when you're buying houses, there's all the familial thing and you got brothers or, um, you know, and, and their parents have died and this person wants this and that. And so you're having to kind of come in and be, and so in this kid situation, you got a gym owner who's the son and he wants to be respectful of his dad, but he kind of needs to push him. So we're like two weeks into the contract. You got two more weeks and nothing's being taken out of that house. And I said to him, I'll pay for a rollaway, put in the driveway. Dude, you're a CrossFit coach. You need to go in there and start getting rid of stuff, right? And we had gone to Colorado. That was that same trip. And we came back and I told my wife, let's drive by. It was literally off the road. I said, let's drive by and I'll just poke over in that rollaway and see if things were getting done because now we're at 10 days. Man, I went on, there's like two things in that rollaway. So my wife, sweet as anything, said, Chris, we're going to have to get involved. I'm the pushy guy. She's the sweet guy. But my wife's like, this is a great deal. He needs help. So she called him. She said, Mr. Such and Such, she said, here's what we'll do. I'll come over and I'll stand beside you. We'll have some boxes. We'll rent a truck. You're going to tell me in each room what you want to keep. going to pack those things nicely and take them out to the truck your son and chris are going to load them up take them right down to the storage so nothing can happen to them and he agreed you know if you've been in a hoarding situation you have to be very careful to not offend them but yet push them to where they need to go and dude it was like in the middle of august 115 degrees and chad i can't stand the smell i cannot go in the house so my wife And at that time, my 15-year-old son went in, and my 15-year-old would bring the box to me, and then I would take it to the truck. And we took about a 2,500-square-foot home of everything that he wanted to keep, and we put it in there, you know, and and put it where it needed to be. Because we wouldn't have gotten paid, because we would have gotten to the end of 30 days, and the guy was like, he's still here. So you got to have to roll your it's the pivot. Like you you get on the phone, you ask questions and you go, okay, here's the problem. Here's what we need to go solve if we really truly want to make this a business. So
1: that's a great example. I think of looking at that problem from a serving standpoint, because I think a lot of people would look at it and get confrontational. You know, this has to be done and this date is looming and that's a much different stance to take versus, you know, this date's coming up. How can I help you to make sure you abide by the date? That's a big difference.
0: hundred percent. I mean, if there was a military family in San Antonio, that house in Tucson, I think it was last year. And it was a text deal. I texted them and we got an opportunity and, and offered them a price and they said, yes. And they said, look, the lady called me and she said, look, Chris, we'll do the deal. But we're military. They were both teachers in the Air Force. And she said, but I have to come up there and we have to repair the chain link fence because they, their family live next door. And then we've got to clean the house out and we've got to do it. And I said, ma'am, with all due respect, let me serve you. I said, you're going to do all that. And then someone like me is going to come in and tear all that out because we're going to redo the house. I said, let me save you hotel money, gas money, driving from San Antonio to Tucson, Arizona. I mean, if you want to come up and see your family by all means, come up and see your family, but don't make you and your husband go do all of that. So what did I do? My, my son at that time was baseball down in, in Pima community college in Tucson. I just called some of his buddies and I said, Hey guys. Um, and the gentleman that was in that house that was transitioned to his family, he had some kind of a condition where he couldn't lift. And I said, if I paid a couple of you guys each a hundred bucks for maybe two hours of work. Would you do it? What are college students saying? <laughs> yeah. So I paid two hundred bucks and then saved these guys probably a thousand from gas and hotels and all that. So I, I'm a hundred percent all on board with. If you can serve somebody, there, there, there then there's no. Um, for me, there's no uh, praying guilt. On it's, it's hear a problem, solve a problem, make money.
1: Great. So you, you closed your first two deals back to back yeah. and what, what was the third day like? I mean, did you hit the ground running? Were you in awe for seven days and, and uh, just didn't know what had happened? I, I definitely knew. Uh, I
0: def- definitely knew there was something there. Um, I remember I, I, I was still the, it, the it closed in Seattle. I shook, my buddy's hand i went down to the pike place market you know to eat or so i don't remember what it was and i went to a, a an atm and got out 20 bucks or whatever you know and uh and i got that balance that showed that money in there and i was just like i text i took a picture of it and texted my wife and just said this is crazy you know because that's we did a business in, in Atlanta. We finished number two in the country, one of those mall carts and what we did. You know, but that was steady, a hard race. Um, yeah, so I, I would say this, Chad. I didn't do probably what I should have done. Hey, man, systems, let's get this thing revved up. I, I think because I was still ministry and just surviving, uh, I remember there was a little bit of celebration can you believe this this happened that, that kind of thing nothing crazy we didn't go on any trips or anything um, but I definitely told my wife this is something we need to pursue it's just like raising money to go plant a church you know it was kind of that feeling of okay the Lord is taking care of us so let's let's figure out how we can do this day to day but I'm not I'm not I think you're and I don't know you well but I, I definitely think you're better at systems I'm a vision guy who knows the system, but if I have to work on the system, it's really difficult. That's a real chink in my armor. Um, so I wasn't quick to immediately figure that out because it's just not what I'm gifted at.
1: Yeah. So when you started, I mean, you knew you were gonna try to figure out the wholesale business um scale it do that full time to provide for your family as you told other people not your friend in Colorado who was used to real estate but as you told just general friends who really weren't that familiar with real estate what was their response were they supportive critical
0: well let me let me confess right here with you i didn't tell a lot of people there was a there was a uh, a voice that said um, people will be disappointed in you because you're not doing ministry. They're going to be upset with you. They they all know Chris is the speaker, vision, rah rah, uh, build ministries, build church, gospel, Jesus, and now you're over here just making money. Um, and I I let that monster take over. Now there was definitely the part of me that hey I'm taking care of my family, but actually there was a guy here. That, uh, a wife I mean a husband of a, of a wife that was working at CrossFit and he just said man you just got to start talking about it and not worry about that um, but I didn't I didn't that's one of the reasons why I'm attracted to you to hear that you did your first 50 homes with no bank loans that meant that you went out there and you started talking to people and that's when my wife started working with me it's why I do interviews like this to make myself get out there in front of people because I've always been afraid to talk about this type of thing to my
1: uh,
0: ministry background, which is my biggest background, because I don't want them to think that I'm selling out.
1: Yeah. I can completely relate to that because, you know, when, when we couldn't return to Kenya, it really was beyond our choice. You know, it wasn't physically possible for us, for our family to return, but I still felt that, um voice in, internally saying you're walking away from your calling or you're doing something less than this full-time ministry and it took me a long time to to come to grips with we can be in ministry in any any field any format business is uh, another form of ministry and the the sustainability model is different the funding is different but we can have just as big an impact whether our daily focus is in business or ministry full-time. So
0: hundred percent agree. I, I, but I just saw, you know, your memory thing on Facebook popped up and like four or five years ago, I, I, I guess I met with somebody and I, I just made a post on Facebook and just said, it's so awesome that I can go to a business thing and talk and be able to share the gospel. And I remember it because the person asked me my background and that led them to say, you know, actually me and my husband have been talking about looking for a church and, you know, and what did I do? I, I definitely gave them encouragement of some churches to go check out. But more importantly, I just wanted to lay out the gospel, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm curious of what gospel they had heard. Can I ask you a question? Because you would yeah. really help me. Tell me, I'm still in that battle. Help me. Um, I love what I do. So I definitely put it on social media, but I want to have more one-on-one conversations with these people. What was it that that transitioned in your heart, or what was it you heard, or how did you turn the corner when you realized, I'm not any less pro-Jesus doing what I'm doing now than when I was a missionary? And so I'm going to talk about real estate.
1: Well, for me, I started talking about real estate naturally when I was transitioning to working in the States, because... We were on furlough and since we couldn't return to Kenya, we everybody knew my job was ending, right? And something was gonna change. And so naturally people were asking me, well, what are you gonna do next? Or what's the next step? And so um, it was kind of natural to, to talk about, hey, I'm going into real estate and I was doing a big sales pitch to myself, even at that point, like I'm going to make this work. This is what I'm going to do full time. And uh, I used to say to, to everybody I met who was somewhat critical, you know, if they, if they heard I was going into real estate and they'd say, are you sure that's going to work? Are you sure that's a good idea? I would say somebody's going to make real estate in Dayton, Ohio next year. And I'm certain it's going to be me. I'm going to work harder than them. I'm going to, You know, and I had my spiel that was as much for them as it was for me, because I needed that.
0: Did you have any kind of of real estate background coming out of, because you were a full-time missionary, like, well, what made you choose real estate over, I don't know, starting something else?
1: So I was trained as a teacher. So I was a high school English teacher before ministry, but my parents had rentals. And so You know, it was natural for me to understand at least interacting with tenants and management type things. I didn't know very much about the buying and selling. That was all new. Um, But I was familiar with the the process and the dealing with tenants and things like that.
0: So So, let me ask you this, how did you, I remember leaving Atlanta, coming to Houston and we, we hadn't sold our house yet, but we were going on to Houston. It was The first place, you know, where it needed to be sold after. And we ended up renting it for, I think, a year. And everybody just told me, again, I know nothing about real estate. I'm still 10 years away, you know, 15 years away of getting involved in it. Oh, you don't want to keep that that tenant for very long and blah, blah, blah. You know, since 1998, 99. And, and, you know, so we quickly got it on the market and sold it. And and I think back now, the education I have now, like, man, if I would have kept... Every single house in each church that i served in, you know, I can't imagine what I, they'd all be paid off, you know? And so, so how did you deal with that? Or how do you deal with that now when someone's like, oh, I would never want to be a landlord?
1: Well, um, you know, now I would say pretty much, I understand that it comes with some headaches. That's why you can invest with me and I'll take those headaches, you know, (laughs) that's, it's an opportunity. Um, And really, when I first started telling people about real estate and what I was doing, I didn't recognize how much they would see it as an opportunity, you know, because I, I didn't qualify for bank loans, very low income as a missionary, and then no income when that ended. And so I was, I was used to raising money for ministry. And when I would first talk about it with the earliest lenders, I didn't realize how much it was seen as an opportunity by them. That it was, that really solved their problem. That really was what they'd been looking for. They didn't know how to do it. They wanted to invest in real estate without the headaches. They wanted a good return on their money without the risk of the stock market. And it was, you know, it was kind of eye opening. you know, this is an opportunity. Why would I not share it with many more people? You know, the more people I share it with, the more people I bless, the more my business grows. And so, um, in that respect, it became easier to share what I was doing because I was serving them and I was helping them.
0: Well, and, what you just what you just said—that's—I I hope people on this podcast and any other one that you do. I mean, I I just want to park on it. You just said low income, no money but I bought 50 houses and not only am I owner, I also helped everybody that partnered with me to give them a return. That I mean, that's amazing. That needs to be unpacked every day. Hey, do you know with no money or very little income, bank would tell you, I would never give you a loan to buy your own house. Chad went out and bought 50. <laughs> he didn't take advantage of anybody. You know, he actually helped people. I just, I love, that i just think that's what people need to hear about real estate
1: yeah i appreciate it yeah i think uh too often investors get this bad image or reputation somehow and in our situation the communities were much better off the houses that had been left or were, were being fixed up the residents had a safe place to live and a you know, an owner or property manager who was good to deal with. The investors were getting a better return than they could otherwise. I mean, everybody was winning, right? It was not a win-lose situation. It was where every party involved was benefiting. So um, so yeah, the more we can do that, but the more we can help other people do that with their businesses, the better. The better the communities would be. Um, it's just good all around so
0: 100 believe
1: so with your story i mean i know seeing you know what you're doing now being wholesaling and active in multiple markets how did you go from two deals to working in multiple states
0: um again and i think it came out of opportunity through relationships um that was number one uh, I realized I needed like you I needed to have some type of a, a, of a financial backing because everything that I was making was so that I could survive um, and to be honest with you I don't like doing things by myself this is way more fun than than you know being by myself like putting the camera in front of just me and talking isn't fun but getting on here two guys or four people or six people and collaborating i just think people are here and they, they just they can pick things out and so i remember i did ministry one time my first job uh going from an intern to being an actual youth minister i had a job uh, being a youth minister and i was by myself small church no interns no secretary nothing and i just sat at that desk probably the first week and said i am never doing this again um and that's why i like to build teams You know, I think more comes out of community than just singular. Um, So I reached out um, to a buddy and uh, he was a youth worker at my church in Houston. He was super busy, but he was a great guy. I just knew if I got into business with this guy, he would never take advantage of me. You know, like my wife and I love being around he and his wife. Uh, He's older than me. You know, he's, he's made smart financial decisions. You know, that's the kind of person that I want to be. Um, and I like to look for people that are different from me, you know, and uh, because I want to learn and I want them to be, sand, it's like marriage. I want them to be sandpaper in my life. They're just things that I naturally know looking at you that you're better than me. So I want to spend time with you so that you can take away the rough edges of me so I can be more like you in certain areas of your life. So I reached out to him and he said, no, not because he didn't want to, he's just busy. He was having to fly, uh, leave his family every Friday to go across the country to work somewhere else, and then, you know, we'd come back. or Actually, we'd leave every Sunday night or Monday and then come back on Friday. And then one day, where I think I was at a low moment, you know, real estate investing. You know, it's the highs are high and the lows are low, and I'm sure I was in a low drought, not getting a deal or something, and I was at baseball or something, and I got a call from him, and he said, Hey, you remember that thing you've been talking to me about? Um, I have time now. And so uh, he had a rental property that he was using. He wasn't an investor. He had bought it to help some family. And then, and and he and his wife were ready to sell it. So they sold it and used some of the proceeds for us to launch an LLC um, where he and I would work together. He being in another state, Texas, and me being in Arizona, let's go after both markets. You teach me, Chris, you know, that's your financial contribution instead of me paying $10, $15,000 to a mentor. You just turn around and hand me everything that you've learned and let's do deals together. And from there, we just kind of started building, you know, that way. And then, um, I got my kids involved, my two oldest kids, um, uh, last summer they got really involved. From the standpoint of they were two of my cold callers, because um, I wanted to use some English-speaking, uh, like true you know, stateside people, um, and then I was using some others uh, across the way, and uh, and then a couple of years ago, uh, um, I'm getting old, so I forget names, but the larger companies sometimes we would use to buy houses for rehab. Um, I, I became friends with the guy somewhat of the broker and said, Hey man, do you, do you have anybody that does like bigger loans? Like they want to take all 10 or 15 of their houses and put them under one because they've had them for a while. And he introduced me to somebody and that guy agreed to a phone call. And it was just me getting on the phone and just asking him a ton of questions. We weren't even ready to do what he was doing. I just was in that mode of wanting to learn. And after that conversation he called me back and said hey would you want a partner in what you're doing um if i could provide finances and it didn't conflict with my original partner actually the way i see it is one day you know maybe we could you know collaborate and even come together and so that's how i ended up in multiple states so arizona which i do probably the least amount of deals in arizona where i live which is funny Um, and then Dallas-Fort Worth, um, Memphis, Tennessee, and then actually in Seattle. Um, I have a a silent partner because he's still involved in ministry. Um, We're still 50-50, so he does a lot of on-the-ground stuff. He negotiates, Um, but he actually saw my first deal. (laughs) We met in another Costco parking lot because I had flown up there, and, and, and he goes, let me get this straight you don't have the money to buy a house, but you put a contract on a house. And then you assigned or gave that contract to another guy. And that guy gave you $26,000. And then he said, and none of that's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said, well, oh, you know me, I'm not getting involved in anything illegal. And he's like, all right. Well, he's like, do you ever need anybody in Seattle? You know? And so we started talking. Well, that's how it happened. It's just, it was all relationships. One guy I didn't know, the other two I did, but it was just benefit. And for me, Chad, it's not about the dollar, like, wow, Chris, you're giving up 50% of everything that, that you make because you're bringing in partners. Yeah, but I have a long-term vision about collaboration and ministry. And in the end, I don't want to be doing this one day, day to day. So I want to give away responsibility and and, and duties so that I can do some of those things that I really want to do, you know, go be with my family or take them on a mission trip or or go help a pastor. You know, be able to call a pastor and say, "How do you need help?" He's like, "Man, I'm starting a church and I need to not be here for a couple Sundays. Hey, man, let me come. Let me come preach for a couple weeks. Well, I don't have any money to pay you. I don't care. You know, yeah. just you need to be away because if you and your marriage fail, that means that church is going to go away." How many hundreds of people now are not going to hear the gospel? You know? So let us help take care of you.
1: Yeah. That's huge. You know, I I think everybody starts wanting to increase their income and they they see numbers and I want to make this much. And um, but I think really everybody needs to get eventually beyond that ensure we want our lifestyle to be better. We want to provide for our kids and Experiences, but eventually we want to have an impact. We want to help other people. We want to leave our community or the world better. And the freedom that you can get with real estate is a huge opportunity to have the time and resources to do that. So I don't think that's talked about enough, really.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. I absolutely agree.
1: So to get into a couple of the details of wholesaling, since You are, I mean, I consider you're an expert in wholesaling. You're doing a lot of deals. You know the process. And for a lot of people, it's very foreign or seems kind of mysterious. So, you know, I think part of the the process of wholesaling is getting in touch with those um, motivated sellers or sellers in whatever form they are. And the other half is how to interact with, serve, negotiate with the sellers. What are some tips you have for people who are struggling? You know, in this market, it's most people are struggling more to find the deal. Um, what are some tips for how to get in touch with those sellers?
0: Well, first off, man, I want to have a private conversation with you. You helping me take what I know and get it out to people. Because you're doing some things that I want to be doing. And I feel like what I do goes very well with what you do. I want to teach people how wholesalers can partner with a, a guy like you because they hear, Oh, wait a minute. Well, one guy, that means I've lost all my buyers. No, I'm not saying that, but I think I want to teach people what you're asking me to do right now. I want to do it for the masses, but that's where I'm going to need your help. But on the tips to find motivated sellers, I, I would just say, number one, I would say just be open, right? Um, uh, what I confessed earlier, talk about it. Talk about that you're looking for homes, that that um, you and your team, and people are like, well, but it's just me. Yeah, but your buyers are part of your team. So you can say team. Me and my team are looking for houses that need work. And then just what platform do you wanna to use to say that? And obviously, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram are very easy ways. Uh, go, go on Facebook and uh, uh, type in at the top up there um, whatever state you're in uh, that uh, Texas wholesaling Texas real estate groups will pop up join all those groups you know because a lot of those people are going to tell you uh, or show you or teach you different ways to find motivated sellers but that would be number one uh, Two, you put an ad on Craigslist I'm looking to buy a three-bedroom, two-bath house in this area. Uh, again, you kind of have to lose yourself in the sense of um, – I remember going to CrossFit, Chad, and the, the CrossFit owner was, was fascinated that I was a pastor, and I was fascinated about CrossFit because I didn't know the first thing about it, but I just wanted to go do it because it, it intimidated me. So my wife and I went, and I'm having breakfast with the coach like a week later, he wanted to know about gospel and church, and I wanted to know about CrossFit. And I said, tell me about CrossFit. And he said, hey, um, if you can love getting uncomfortable, you know, if you can be good with being uncomfortable, you're going to love CrossFit. And I've always kept that. And then he, later he's like, well, you know, about Jesus and church. And I said, hey, if you can be uncomfortable, you're going to love the gospel. You know, <laughs> so that would be number one. Get uncomfortable and just start telling people. And you'll hear tons of no's um but as far as let me give you a couple practical ones one hey i don't have a budget i don't have anything um well you know neighborhoods so drive neighborhoods and find that one house that is the house that needs the most work in the neighborhood crazy enough there you know with google's a powerful tool you go back and google that address the most simple thing you can do um is if you have somebody with you, you know, I want to be careful and safety is just knock on the door. I know that's scary. I know that's scary. But if it's your neighborhood, hey man, I I just, you know, I just live down the street and I just, you know, I'm in real estate looking for a house and I'd much rather buy one right here in my own neighborhood or two neighborhoods over. But just find houses that need work. And then what you want to do once you find that house is find a way To find out who owns that house well most places you can go to zillow and click county website and and find the owner and then it's going to come down to what service or skip tracing or what to find the phone number or email for that owner uh and then just get in a conversation but as far as tips it's for what we do we just um we buy leads um, and then we skip trace those leads and then we reach out to them, whether it be text uh, or phone call, or some people um, uh, use some kind of print, postcard. Man, when I got started, like you were asking, my kids, we were handwriting, messy handwriting, just, hey, we want to, you know, this is Chris and Jeremy, we'd love to buy your house at such and such address white envelopes, nothing fancy. It's a stamp. I remember my 16 year old was like seven, eight, nine. She was doing the stamps. My five-year-old was licking them or using the wet rag. It was just, you know, that's it. Find people that need help with their real estate. That's, I guess, the easiest. And then there's a million ways to do that.
1: Yeah. Well, that's huge because I think so many people have this notion of, I need a Five hundred dollar marketing budget to get started, or and you know the majority of the ideas you just said really cost nothing. You know, it's just putting yourself out there on social media or driving and knocking on the door. And I think at one point um, early on, I I had these really official, fancy uh, you know doorknob hangers printed up. You know, I was like, man, this is great. And then a little bit later I thought, you know, a yellow post-it would work just as well <laughs> and is more personal because really the key is just being personable and have them being able to relate to you in some way. So I
0: gave a better idea. I would take that over my idea of knocking on the door, take your post-it note. Hey, my name's Chad. I would be, if you're interested in selling this house, I'd be interested in buying Chris phone number, I think that that is way better than the professional stuff. That's even better than knocking on a door because it's not intrusive. 100%. Totally
1: agree.
0: Totally agree.
1: So, if for another question I hear a lot from people who do some kind of marketing, whether that's direct mail or postcards or something, they've bought a list, they've sent out items is how do you know if it's good or not, right? How do you know if it's an effective list or an effective mailer? Are there some kind of numbers that you use or that are general, you know, if I get 1% response, is that good? Or does that mean I need to to buy a better list or change my marketing? How, you know, are there any kind of uh, rough ballpark figures for people?
0: Yeah. I mean, on print, I don't do it anymore, but it used to be, yeah, man, if I could get 1% return um, on that, you know, in other words, the mail I sent out, if I could uh, get that 1% return, then you're doing a good job. I think it's like half a percent now in mail. Um, I was doing it as a, maybe like a year, maybe a year and two months ago was the last time we did the way we still do mail for us is if we can't get the deal text, to a phone call even in our text campaigns it ends in a phone call we don't want to go beyond three texts that we're not asking for permission to give them a call um, the only time we send mail now is if we didn't get it under contract which is a lot if we're close or even if we're not close we'll send a contract through the snail mail to them because there's something about holding a contract you know i'm not interested in that, but then all of a sudden. They open up the mail and they've got a contract in their hand that says, I'll buy this house cash for this price. and I'll close in three weeks or less. There's something about a phone call and an actual contract in my hand is, is different. And we've got a date on there that, that expires by. Um, we don't, we don't just leave it open-ended, but sometimes they're like, wow, he wasn't just a a fake phone caller. This guy, this guy took the time to put it in the mail, sign it, and he's ready to go.
1: That's an awesome idea. Yeah. Because then it it feels real, you know, getting that paper contract, you're is pretty close to getting a paper check or for that problem to really be gone.
0: And it's not professional. It's, it's our one page agreement. It's us handwriting it, you know, it's not, it's not a, Whatever you call it, manufactured. I mean, it's it's really us just I got off the phone call, it was close. Let's, you know, you might pick up one extra deal a month from doing that. But if that's five thousand, if that's seven thousand dollars of an assignment fee, or or if you actually bought the property, um, it was worth it.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, so if somebody was wanting to just get started in wholesaling or wanting that first step what you know what advice would you give them um, for that beginning or that first start
0: uh definitely call as many that'll give you a conversation and just ask them kind of like we're doing just ask them to share their journey their story what they're willing um, another way is uh find somebody that's doing it you got to be careful here because I tried this and it was just rejection after rejection. And at first I was judgmental going, here's a guy that's willing to hustle and they don't want me to join. You know, I could bring them, you know, X amount of dollars if they partner with me. But what you don't realize is is they're paying for all that. But if you could bring value to somebody that's doing it, you know, and, and take way less than what that assignment fee, you know, if you're, if you can make, you know, 10 to 20% of that assignment fee so that you could get the education Then I would call somebody and say, hey, could I be on your team? Can I be an acquisitions person? Or can I, you know, what could I be that is worth it for you that I could make a small amount while I'm learning everything? And, and some people will say that's not good, but I still think it is because I'm somebody that's looking for people like that. So if it's somebody, you know, we recently had somebody that my, one of my partners brought. He's a he's a, a a GC that wants to do wholesaling and investing. He doesn't know anything about investing, yet he is a GC who works for investors. So my partner said, "Well, you know, we'll pay you fifteen percent if you want to do acquisitions." It wasn't a day into it; he was ready to quit because he <laughs> he wanted the big money. He wanted everything, and he had And we're paying for. All the leads, all the things, all the CRM, all the systems, everything. But he wanted to be equal from the start. And so it's like, no, earn your stripes, you know. But would we increase as it went if you're a producer? Absolutely. So that would be one thing: is find somebody that's doing it and go learn from them. Um, I, I, I'm sure they're called Rias, you know. Find a real estate gathering in your city and go to that and just walk around and shake hands and. I'm totally new. I want to start in wholesaling. Who are some of those people in wholesaling that can help me? That's 100% free. That's just a relationship. And if you find one that you connect with personality, hey, I don't know the first clue, but I'm teachable. Could I could I work for you? You know, yeah. would you let me shadow you guys? Um, you know, you don't have to pay me a dime. It's all on me. I just want to learn. You'll find there are some that care still about people and will do it. Yeah,
1: that's huge. Yeah, networking and trying to add value. I think, you know, far too many people start networking and, and consistently ask for things just right yeah. off the start. And um, I think you prove yourself as as being serious and in it for the long term. If you start adding value, contributing, and demonstrate um, how committed you are, and you will get things over time. You know, it's a long term game.
0: You go work for another guy and get things under contract. They're gonna, they're gonna want to work with you, you know. Yeah. Quickly.
1: So, all right, where your business is now? What are your goals moving forward, or what's your focus? Um,
0: Be like Chad. (laughs)
1: No, I don't you that.
0: (laughs) I love, I love helping people. Um, So I think one of my goals is to to get with somebody and and put a system in place to where we could show them A to Z how to to wholesale, you know, and like put that together and offer it uh, with the coaching, whether it be one-on-one or group coaching. I I like both. I just want to see somebody win. So that's one of my goals is to, to partner with somebody and start teaching this so that more people can find that freedom, and I love in that goal I shared with you is to be able to teach pastors, ministers, you know, and on their families to to be able to assign one contract. Well, say so they did it one time and they make ten thousand dollars on an assignment. They help the buyer. They help the seller. They made ten thousand. Imagine the impact that would have on a ministry family to add ten thousand dollars to their family budget that, that might save that marriage. It might keep that pastor right there on staff at that church. Um, so that's one of my goals is to figure out a way to get somebody to help me harness me to be able to teach people. Um, number two is uh, we're trying to transition into continue to wholesale, but also continue to take down uh, homes, meaning get it under contract, just like we would. To sell it to an investor like Chad but say you know what let's buy this house ourselves let's find the fun financing to take this house down and keep it um, so that's something that we're really trying to do um, right now um, probably should have started sooner um, but um, this is the path I'm on this is the journey I'm on so those are two goals one is it's formalize uh, some type of teaching with, with another person on teaching people how to do this. And then not only just selling them a class, but really selling them a, a, a journey, a, a process. Like, I don't want to just sell you something out. We want to help walk you through it, you know? yeah. Because the best education for me, I don't know about you, Chad, but everybody's like, you know, wholesaling. It, it is the simple, find a motivated seller, get the property under contract, find a buyer that wants that contract and sign. that is the, the essence of, of wholesaling. But in the process, it's so every deal is different because the seller has a different kind of personality, a different story, a different background, a different distressed situation. Um, and then there's the actual house and the issues of how you're going to, you know, show that house and get into that house and take pictures of that house. And then there's the buyers. They want the best deal possible. So you've got to, get into the negotiations on that side too. So every single deal is educational. And uh, I learned so much just through the process every time.
1: Well, that's huge. You know, the, the information's important, but actually implementing that information is what matters the most. And to try to implement it on your own versus going through it with somebody who's been through it those are two vastly different experiences. So I think you you know, the model and, and the the passion you have for sharing what you know and then helping people as they implement it. I, I think that's huge. I think that would help mo- many more people succeed yeah. um, and get to where they want to be.
0: Quick story. I'm in Seattle like six months after my first deal, you know, and I've done, at that point, I think I had done like three deals, two we shared and one other. And we went to a RIA so we could meet a bunch of people. And I took my buddy. It's like, hey, we're gonna go to this thing. We, we don't have anything to sell. We just want to go meet people, right? Because you gotta, you gotta shake hands and meet people. And 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 when people see, because I think people first buy you, and then they buy your deal. So if I'm gonna call a seller, they're gonna buy me before they agree to sell me their house. So for me, it's about building rapport with that person. Not, I don't. A lot of times the guys will be like, hey, why are you calling that guy? You don't even know the numbers. The numbers mean nothing to me. It could be the greatest deal in the world, but if they don't like me, they're not gonna sell to me. If we can't connect, it doesn't matter how great the deal is. So don't spend too much time looking at, oh, well, Zillow says it's 200 and they already said they want 150, so it's probably not a deal. How many times I've gotten on the phone and just built a relationship and they sold me that house? 100, because I just had a relationship and I listened to their story and found out, yeah, they want 150 and it's 200, but there's nobody that's going to pay them, and if they don't sell it to me or someone like me, they're going to lose their home and they don't want that. So we are sitting in Seattle. There's three or four hundred people. There was a guy talking about um, the Megan speaker was about apartments, but before that, some announcements and whatever. And then they said, hey, we're going to take a break and just talk to people on your row or two rows, you know, and we probably had about 30 or 50 people on our two rows. And I told my buddy, I said, hey, let's split up. We can talk to more people. And we did that five minute thing. And we came back and the the main speaker started talking. And my buddy says, did you realize something? And I said, what? He goes, I've done one deal with you. You've done three deals. And everybody was talking to you and I, like we were the experts in the room. (laughs) And what we came to realize was that, Everybody in that room, or most people in that room, just educate and they never apply. And for me, it's get a little bit of education, apply, get beat up, learn, you know, and I grow through that. But if I just learn, 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 and I never take that leap, I'm going to be disappointed a year later.
1: Awesome. I know, well, I know the more we talk, the more questions I get. So I (laughs) could. I could ask you more questions all day, but I'm definitely going to have to have you on again and, and share more things about your business and what you've got going on. Cause I know there's a bunch of huge takeaways from what we've talked about today. And I know you have a lot of content or value to add. So I appreciate your time.
0: Let's do another podcast where we go on to your podcast, but I interview you because I think you have a ton of knowledge to impart on people.
1: All right, tempting. Sounds good. So, in the meantime, Chris, what are some ways for people to find out more about you or stay in touch with you?
0: Um, call me. Uh, I'm sure you'll put my phone number out there. I gave it to you 480 436 2607. I don't care. Email me. I know you'll put that on there. I'm on Facebook, uh, Instagram. I'm uh, KGREI, KG underscore REI literally just stands for keep going. It's just a page to, uh, well, you put a video on there yesterday, just positive influence of different types of investors, just encouraging people to keep going.
1: Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage anybody who is interested looking for motivation, looking for information, inspiration to check out Chris and uh, stay in touch with him. So, and uh, definitely thank you again, Chris. Appreciate your time. Hey, I'm humbled to be here. All right. Have a good day. Hey, you too.
0: Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors Podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcast or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey.